The Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC 245 Breakdown. Picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. Up, boys and girls. This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom, analyst whose work you could find over at MMAJunkie.com. But on this year program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today, tonight. Whenever you're listening to this, hopefully it's before the fight. It should be getting this out early, uh, recording it Wednesday night, and be published Wednesday night. But uh It'll be the wee hours of Wednesday night. I was actually trying to get this done done earlier. It's about like 10 p.m. now. I was trying to get this done like five hours ago. Uh, a lot of stuff came up. Uh, one small thing, which I'll mention just because there might be someone out there that can help me because my, my brain is, is squash and I went through deleting too many things because my uh, little Apple MacBook Pro is uh is getting full here in the scar- startup disk and I think it's something to do with uh, not updating. I've got to update to my operating system, a newer operating system, and that should clear up the phantom uh, space. But in effort to clear space, I might have accidentally deleted too much and deleted the uh, old Protect Your Neck podcast logo Im- image for the podcast here. So um, hopefully it still should show up, uh, you know, on your smartphones and whatnot. But uh Hopefully it doesn't affect like the logo where it says shows, but the in-show, like when you're listening to it, like if uh, on a smartphone might have a weird logo on there, or not weird, but just not sized correctly. So any of you sharps out there that use a garage band and maybe know the uh, artwork preferred dimensions and, and know something I'm missing here, uh, if I'm you know using PNG or JPEG, there, there, there's a preferred form because uh, I'm not getting it. And I didn't want to delay it anymore, so apologies for that. Just wanted to throw it out there for the universe in case any of my listeners want to get extra credit and help your boy. Otherwise, we are going to get right into things before my voice kind of goes. Hopefully, it's not sounding different to you. Hopefully, it's just me that it's sounding different. But, yeah, it's been it's been a bit of a long week getting, getting a lot in and a lot to get to. So let's get to it. Before we get to UFC 245, which will be the card we're breaking down, I'm just going to do a quick... Quick recap of UFC on ESPN 7. Check the timestamps. Uh, before we actually get to the recap, real quick, I'm not used to this. We usually don't have uh, friends joining the show uh, in this way, but um, I, I did have a, a friend reach out, and that friend I'm talking about um, is my top sports books. MyTopSportsBooks.com. I actually... Everything, thankfully, only the, the thing that I was dealing with was image problems. Thankfully, everything else is working as far as the important stuff like audio, functionality, platforms, as well as embedded links. And if you go to the show notes, whether you're listening on the smartphone friendly players at mixedmartialanalyst.com, where of course you can find all my breakdowns, uh, works, links, and all that fun stuff there. But as well as your smartphone friendly players, whether you're listening on iTunes, etc., um, just go to the show notes that always accompanies this show, and you'll actually find a link to their site. 
But not just their site. They actually have this cool thing called a betting guide. So even if you, you know, uh, they have great stuff like, you know, the odds, which I actually embedded into the show notes as well for you with a little description there. Uh, they have on their site, they offer analysis. But what I actually specifically linked with was a betting guide, which I thought was really cool. Um, and if you go to and check it out, obviously, if you're somewhat of a novice better, you just don't understand odds. Like if it's that basic, it'll help you. But I know you, I've got a lot of sharp listeners on here that know your stuff and whatnot, but this is actually pretty useful. Like, it's got some uh, very MMA centric betting stuff as far as, you know, the ins and outs uh, as that goes. And it, it's worth a look, you know. I see a lot of people out there, whether it's for sites or whether it's for hobby, make their own lists of, of things. And I always find that super in- interesting. It's encouraging that you share. And uh, this one is a legit one. So I thought I would share it with you if, if, if you'd. Check it out. That would be awesome. Um, you know, uh, again, uh, you know, I don't don't have friends work with the podcast like this. So, if you support me, uh, you know, support my friends. I guess it's kind of one of those things like that. So, uh, I, I appreciate you guys, and uh, definitely appreciate uh, sites like mytopsportsbooks.com. All right, so let's get to the UFC DC recap quickly before we jump over to UFC two forty five. Um, which I'll have to re-log into. Bah. Uh, we went 8-2-2 uh, two and two overall. I know, two draws. Um, kind of nil for the straight plays, although... Or, or wait, nil, not nil. Um, wow. Yeah, because uh, it was a draw, and uh, I'll, I'll get into the ones that I ended up pulling the trigger on, and <laughs> that cost me. Um one for one with the parlay pieces, although it was kind of a loose recommendation. I don't know how loose it was, actually. I think I pretty, pretty much did recommend it. I know I jumped on it, and that was the uh, Selecki inside the distance. And uh, didn't officially give a parlay out there, but I did give it for fun one that I actually ended up playing in that hit. So mm, kind of asterisks on all those results, right? Of course, Jarzinho Rosenstruck defeated Alistair Overeem in the main event via KO punch. And that's just typical heavyweight MMA, what can I say? Um... Rosenstrach, oh. <laughs> Man, the mensch with a pinch, right? Dude. And uh, Overeem's lip. That was gross. Um, but yeah, typical heavyweight MMA. Overeem actually went to dog money. He went to plus 110. So like I said on the podcast, I couldn't help but pull the trigger and did. Uh, I was up money anyway, so I, I didn't I, you know, I, I didn't put put much on, the, on, on it, folks. Um, but yeah, it was kind of like one of those things where I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, this wasn't a bad weight. Well, it's not good that he didn't finish him on the ground. All right, well, he's still winning, but, oh. And then as soon as he got tired, I actually wasn't too shocked because I thought, like, what if he just lost right now? That would be so heavyweight and so overream and so, and sure enough, it happened. Um, so I didn't have any issue with the walk-off or the things uh, subsequently. Um, all right, uh, Marina Rodriguez, Cynthia Calvillo declared a majority draw. Um, I could see it uh, scored for Marina Rodriguez. I scored it, I believe, on Twitter and live, 29-28 Rodriguez, but I, I don't have an issue with the draw. Um, and I said that before, as I gave my scorecard for Rodriguez, I, I declared that because, again, you know, it was the majority uh, duration, arguably for, you know, she was winning, you know, three to four minutes of the round. Um, but more importantly, uh, caught up and I think ended up like tripling strikes landed, Calfio, just just making up for that round. So a very Dolby, uh, Till-esque effort as far as like maybe the numbers go, but even more so because she got the dominant positions and had the ref, you know, looking to stop it. If it wasn't a Yamasaki and a Vizalin, maybe she would have. <laughs> but, uh, but no, you know, the ref was even warning. So uh, there, you know, 
it's hard. I do think Calvillo was hurt on the feet, but you know she didn't have damage to show for. It was body, which I goo gaga for. I score highly, but again, like all damage, especially damage to the body because it doesn't show like damage to the head. Very subjective, right? Um, and she wasn't technically dropped or anything, whereas very close to stopping the fight Calvillo was. So I, I don't think you can get too mad at that draw. Um, and again, I, I, I leaned toward Rodriguez, 29-28 lives, for whatever that's worth. Ben Rothwell defeated Stefan Shrew via TKO. Yeah, that was a tough one. Um, Margliata, like like I said, it, it sucks. I, not happy to be right. I think... <laughs> I think, uh, I think uh, George was asking, like, oh, so it says something like Mergliata, like, oh, uh, I forget what he said. He, he gave me a, a GG hypothetical, which was funny, but he was just kind of playing to the fact that, like, I was talking about Mergliata. And, you know, I think I, in my defense, I, I only talked about him because it was a listener question. Someone said, like, what was the worst ref call a couple podcasts ago, right? And I said, I can't really get a call, but I will say my man Tan Dan's had a tough year. And I hate to point that out because I'm trying to, whether it's, production or referees like these jobs at MMA that don't get a lot of shine um, I'm really trying not to pick on these people in fact I want to highlight when they do well so in no way am I trying to harp on Tan Dan but yeah that was that was bad that's why I I, I, I just left my tweet as is I forget what I said but I basically just said um, you can't offer conjecture and I use that word conjecture because by definition conjecture is information or uh, an opinion based on incomplete information now, a referee can advise. Advisement is advising the rules. The rules are this. These are the rules. Reinforcing the rules. All that is under the umbrella of advisement. But what Big Tandan was doing was conjecture as far as what he thought the scorecards to the cadence and just general encouragement that you can interpret from his overall tone and obviously the words he used. So not a great look there. I'll leave it at that. That's been talked to death. Aspen Ladd defeated Yana Kunitskaya by TKO. The, the key eyes like crazy, y'all. Um, yeah. And I guess we'll get to it with the Jermaine fight. But yeah, I mean, boy, I, I didn't really p play too much for the weight cut uh, pre. But maybe whatever, you know, the hoops that California State Athletic Commission used to decide or whoever was making her do it. Um paid off because she looked better going in and on fight night whereas man she looked really bad on her fight night with uh, GDR not making excuses there we'll get to more GDR talk when that fight comes up gonna try and push through here uh, Cody Stammen defeated uh, Song uh, Song Yudong uh, majority oh no uh, majority draw I, I thought Stammen beat him um, I was very shocked live as my tweet would say but I, I didn't say robbery because you know you could be emotional you got to go back and watch I didn't go back and watch it but um when you kind of think about about it back soberly and hear out other people's arguments it's like okay I could I you know it, it's one of those things where it, I, I guess I guess you know it just you know the planets would have to really align perfectly but I guess I could see an argument it may be like if it was a pie graph, it may be like that such infants, you know, just like a little, like a couple percentage of points where it's just like, oh, there's a little bit there. Yeah, okay, I guess. But the majority of ways to see the fight, I feel like end up seeing that Cody Stamen was the winner. So I feel bad for him, but uh, Yadong uh, <laughs> gets off clean, you know, he gets off easy. Um, I was just a bit worried because just... The scrambling, some of the scrambling things were worrisome, you know, whether it was like, 
my analysis to even people that, you know, share the training room with Yadong saying, you know, that his scrambling it was a strong point. You know, yeah, Stamen's got the better credentials and is the better wrestler, but if if if, if Yadong can scramble back to his feet, then 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 perhaps there's a chance, but he wasn't even doing the typical team alpha male Uriah Faber, like scrambling away to create scrambles, you know, uh, turning away, um, you know, which risks giving your back. But being that, you know, Faber was a good back taker, he would be comfortable with giving his back so forth. Perhaps Yudong would test those waters, being that Stammen's not exactly, you know, it's Bantamweight, so everybody's technical. But Stammen's not exactly known for his back taking or submission. But instead, Yudong turned in this, to Stammen and... Um, you know, then then was just getting in deeper in the quicksand, ended up in mount and was just really struggling. I mean, you just saw Yadong between Stamen's legs just twisting all the wrong way. I mean, um, it looked painful. But, but yeah, uh, he, 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 you know, ended up being a draw. All right, uh, Font defeated Ricky Simon Vato. Ricky Simon Vato. Um, by unanimous decision. Uh, yeah, this one, I, I will say... Um, I believe I did pick Font to get it done inside the distance. I thought he was going to maybe rock him with an uppercut, which is kind of why I was surprised he wasn't throwing more. And, of course, as I tweeted that, he started hitting more. Although, shout out to Eric Nixick, who was adding on to the analysis, saying, you know, even the lead uppercut would have even been perfect because then he still had that, that patent Rob Font right hand on the rear. And we started seeing more of that. Um, but I did say in this breakdown that I said Font could actually win this by decision. And again, I'm not trying to do revisionist history. This was a tough fight for me to pick. Uh, I'm not going to play like it wasn't. But I did say that, for example, that because of the judging trends, that again, reminding you guys that are betters out there, because of the judging trends um, that exist, uh, they're, they're favoring damage more, which they should, which it's in the rules, which I agree with. And again, with... Uh, Kind of with Stamen, you know, um, it, which Stamen actually did show control, which was the ironic part for his fight. Um, but Ricky Simon Vato doesn't really emphasize on the control. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm drinking mini Cokes, mini Fulham Cokes. Ah, oh, so good. Um, he's a wild man. And uh, I said, like, for example, Simone could get, like, two takedowns in the round. And I can still see Font winning the round. Uh, now he only got 30-27 on one card. The rest were 29-28. But the point is, if you look at the statistics, I believe Ricky Simon Vato got six takedowns divided by three rounds. That's two takedowns a round. And who still won the decision? So, you know, I, the analysis is pretty good. I will, will, will give myself the rare pat on the back there, even though I, I admittedly wasn't confident on the pick. But, but, but yeah. Tim Means defeated Tiago Alves. Was pretty... Uh, I know I went into the big leg kick talk but i really enjoyed that hopefully i didn't talk your guys beat your ears off with that one but um yeah we saw just you know we we just kind of saw means build on him and uh and uh i did the uh max holloway comparison for leg kicks so we'll probably talk about that as well but if you remember i compared uh max holloway when talking about tim means how it's deceptive they both get a lot of leg kicks racked up on them but when do you really see them hurt by leg kicks and in fact when you look at it they actually built a lot of their offense off of leg kicks um so yeah it didn't take uh tim means long to build on uh, alvis unfortunately and i'm an alvis fan man uh, Billy Quarantillo uh, pretty much just ragdolled Jacob Kilbur Kilburn with only needing like one or two takedowns, I think. Triangle chokes him in round two. 
Um, felt like Kilburn was a live dog, but yeah, Quarantillo just did what he needed to. I didn't really talk about it, but I, I forgot to mention it. But uh, like Longo and, and Sarah have been raving about him and him training with uh, you know another redhead up there, Steve Rowe, Matt Favola. Uh, so Quarantillo came out uh, looking looking spades. Bryce Mitchell, man, uh, can prove me wrong. Uh, thankfully, Matt Seals didn't go to dog money. Um, otherwise, I really would have been in it. But yeah, man. Um, Mitchell uh, fucking still didn't get his camo shorts. When he does, he's going to be like, James, you, you, you know it. You know, I love this impression. He's going to be like James Franco from Spring Breakers. I got shorts every fucking color. Look at my shit. Look at all my shit. Arkansas, motherfuckers. Arkansas. Look at my shit. I got shorts every fucking color. It's a terrible movie with awesome performances. So bad, it's good. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, good on Bryce Mitchell, man. The fucking twister. Fucking A. Learning it off YouTube, but then he goes on his... Uh, his, uh, his, his, his his MAGA post-fight speech, which uh, I guess I'll page note that because I, I'm not going to talk too much about the politics that are going to get ear-beaten, but since they are, I do got to leave a caveat before we get to the Usman and... Covington breakdown, but there is a there is a, a note that, that Bryce Mitchell lends to that, I guess, on that note. But congrats to him. Otherwise, you know, uh no hate, uh no no hate for me. Uh <laughs> he's definitely fun to watch, man. Nothing not, I, I ain't uh, I, I ain't I ain't bashing the kid at all. Joe Selecki defeated Matt Wyman via unanimous decision. Oh wait, I played it and it didn't hit that's right, it didn't hit. Never mind. It didn't hit, that's right. I suggested it, but I played it and it didn't hit. Whatever, but uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, man, Wyman, I was just, dude. Like I said on this podcast, I mean, you, the, the interviews you're sounding, you didn't sound mentally well, and I, you know, I, I don't like to say that. I like Matt Wyman. Tried to make light of it with a joke with Nate Marcourt, and I try to not trying to <laughs> pick on Nate Marcourt or. Any of that stuff. I'm sympathetic to all that stuff, folks, but 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 I can smell it too. And um, you just, just Matt Wyman did not seem well, especially at the end of that man. And I ain't saying that to pick on him. As somebody who, who uh, you know, very sympathetic to that. So, but yeah, Matt Wyman. I I hope he can find something positive for his energy, whether it's fighting or not. Uh, Selecki, aka Kenny Florian, <laughs> pushing through. Verena Janadroba came through with that uh, two-legger of the Timmings. Uh, that, that saved my ass for sure. Uh, defeated uh, Mallory Martin, who put up a valiant effort. But again, she, she needed top position to win, couldn't get it. And uh, even though uh, I thought Trevor Smith was live, um, uh, despite picking Mahmoud Meridoff, uh, the prediction of Mahmoud uh, inside the distance came through with a brutal one in round three. Thought it might have been earlier, but man, he, yeah, he did it in round three, so good on him. All right, that wasn't too bad. Uh, under 20 minutes, and we are on to UFC 245. As I pull up picks, I'm just going to give another reminder. We'll do it again at the end of the episode, but uh, again, mytopsportsbooks.com. When I'm reading the uh, these odds here, if you don't understand what I'm saying, you're like, what does it mean when he's minus... 240. What does it mean when he's plus 570? Um, there's a real easy betting guy. You can go there. And uh, so if you were doing that thing where you're nodding along, you're being that guy where you're like, yeah, yeah, I know what he's talking about, but you really don't. 
go check out the uh, link provided in the show notes, uh, the betting guide, and you know maybe it'll uh, enhance the listening of this here uh, chaotic, chaotic program known as the Protect Your Neck Podcast coming at you weekly. So we have Kamara Usman. Still does the favorite here. Installed as the favorite here. Minus 185 with a comeback from Colby Covington. Uh, the challenger, uh, interim title holder, who never lost that belt, will now have a chance to uh, stake his claim to the title. Uh, come back on him, plus 160. This is tough, man. This is making making the ugly and everybody coming out, ain't it? Before I get into this, very divisive topic of breaking down a fight because God forbid we focus on the martial art, folks. I'm going to do the old-fashioned crack of the uh, can that I like to do uh, with beers, even though I don't really drink much these days, much less on this podcast anymore. Um, But I'll do it with a Coke. Just a cheers to remind myself that we're all friends at the end of the day, folks. It doesn't have to be left or right. doesn't have to be this team versus that. You can pick a fighter. And 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 uh, not agree with everything, uh, their morality, and subscribe to everything, and go jump off a bridge just because they do. You cannot pick a fighter. Doesn't mean you hate them. In fact, you cannot pick a fighter and really like that fighter. Like these things are possible, folks. So as we remind of these things, let's just remind ourselves: life is good, and there's much more important things in life to find things to fight about. So cheers! Ah, look at that. So my breakdown's out for uh, whatever I miss. I'm going to try to blow through this and try to avoid politic talk. It's already in my timeline, my mentions, and and there's enough takes on both sides because, you know, everything has to come to sides, red versus blue and all that bullshit. Um, Yeah, let's just let's let's just try to get 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 through this. Just because you pick someone again, folks, just a constant reminder, just because you pick someone doesn't mean doesn't mean you hate them. Or just because you pick against someone doesn't mean you hate them, right? Just because you pick someone doesn't mean you love everything about them or have their same ideology. So that caveat out of the way, um, I'm just going to get into the pick uh, or, the, or the fight. Uh, and, of course, just to... I don't even know if it's stating a bias because it's not like I'm a buddy-buddy with a dude. But, yeah, I went on a military trip with Colby right before this stuff started kind of coming up. And and uh, every time I've interacted with him since, he's you know, he was great on the trip. Just was just it was the only person not drinking, the only person squeezing in um, workouts slash extra workouts and still hitting all the events with the uh, troops. Uh, been nice to other media members I know. Gym owners, people from the fight and martial arts side. Um, as far as any kind of personal thing, yeah, I, I, not, nothing bad. Does that mean I like what he does? Believe me, <laughs> the red hat deal that doesn't represent your boy here. Believe me, for whatever it's worth, um, I, 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 I'm more left leaning and have only uh, voted on the left side. If you must know, okay. So there's none of that uh, going on here either. I just, God forbid, I made a fight pick based on based on analysis here, and it's just it is just kind of crazy what it does, like how insane blinders we have. I was hoping it would reflect more on the odds uh, because I would have made a, a bigger play, but I actually made a 
a decent play here, and I ended one in actually in a real sports book. Um, but just because I just I just I, I I still ended up did liking the odds and for what I saw for I guess what I'll get in here. You don't gotta follow me off a cliff. It's a competitive fight. Uh, Kamara Usman should be the favorite minus one eighty five with the comeback on Colby Covington plus one sixty. Okay. Um. And uh, and yeah, I just I I I just think that um. The fight is a lot close, uh, is closer than the odds uh, make it out to be, and a lot closer than the general narrative makes it out to be. Again, with my breakdown referencing the two argument case, you can make two arguments here. It's just easier and more popular, um, obviously, to make the argument that yeah, yeah, I can see how this one could be a very bad matchup for Covington. We could see that play out. You know, Usman checks all the proverbial boxes, but it's all about matchups in this sport um and matchup wise you could also make the argument that covington is, is a bad matchup um how many guys have we really seen put on an offensive grappling effort against usman how many guys could even put an offensive grappling effort against usman it's really just Damian Maya who was on short notice and yeah, took that fight short notice. Only shot 15 takedowns, which sounds like a lot. That's not a lot for Damian Maya. He's usually in the 20s and 30s. And they were quality takedowns because he didn't have a full camp. Although it really doesn't matter because Damian Maya just needs one and he got to the that crucial position where he was getting toward the back and it was taken away from him. And if Damian Maya just needs one and he gets to the back once, it's not guaranteed, of course. He's gotten a lot of people's backs. Mario Miranda back in the day to mount George Masvidal and barely got the decision right. It's not guaranteed, but it's very goddamn dangerous and enough for an argument to get pissed off. I was not just mad at that, though. I was also just mad because he had uh, Kamara was in that, that overhook position, but he was holding onto the overhook so much to protect his back that he, he forced himself into a compromised position. It was almost like that pro wrestling move. I forget what it's called. Like the Not the torture rack, but... It's like almost like this, this, this standing submission. It almost looks like a standing twister, right? And he got Dong Young Kim, another, again, strong grappler um, with a strong base. Uh, granted, judo versus wrestling, but still strong grappler, strong base, strong balance. Got him in that position as well and collapsed him with it. And because it puts you or people that know grappling that high and tight overhook, when it gets as high and tight as Damian Maya has it, and you collapse on someone's weight, right on your ribs you're really vulnerable there and that's where Damian Maia of course got one of his only TKO wins cracking Dong Young Kim's ribs and that could have also very well happened there that was the only time he's really faced a guy who could um I know everyone's gonna say Tyron Woodley here but Tyron Woodley really hasn't been an offensively minded uh wrestler in MMA for nearly a decade remember he fell in love with his hands then got knocked out then got uh, but then, then actually came back and got some quick knockouts, built his confidence back, right? Uh, when he came came into the UFC after the leaving strike force off that, that loss, I believe. Or not maybe leaving off the loss, but he got maybe a decision went after that. But yeah, um, early he showed some really transitional savvy, but he never really got back to that in the early strike force days. By late strike force to UFC, he was already your proverbial wrestler who fell in love with his right hand. And his defense was so good and notorious because that's all he really focused on. And not only not offensively, but he wasn't much of a scrambler. 
Um, he didn't really make his money there. Whereas Covington can scramble. He is offensive. Uh, he has the submission, striking, positional varieties that Woodley's really never showed um, in his UFC career for the most part. Uh, and not to take away from Camaro because it was a great fight, but it, there's this weird inflation that the main event and co-main event um, share. Um, and and with uh, we'll get to Volkanovski's win over Aldo, which was impressive. But at the same time, you could argue make these overinflations were as impressive. Yes, the victories were impressive. Their performances were impressive. All respect to Josie Aldo. Of course, you all know I love Josie Aldo. And yes, all respect to one of the greatest welterweight champs ever, Tyron Woodley, but... You know, we'll get to Aldo, but these are older guys who kind of fight in burst, both of them, right? And they're also older guys toward more toward the end of their career as well. And with Woodley in particular, you know, he didn't even look in in the shape he's normally in. Um, you know, all that record stuff and all those deals and releases going down, all that, pre you know... Champ lifestyle things, whatever, you know, um, who knows what his health was, if there's something preventing him from being in a certain shape because, you know, he, he, he and then just mentally we've seen him shut down as well before. And he was kind of doing that as well again, where he kind of just, just is a shell of himself. He can't get going. And if you just get persistent momentum, he can't get, he can't swing back, um, you know, fight back from a deficit. We, we never really seen Woodley do that ever. So there's a lot of both excuses, intangibles, possible reasons, as well as um, evident history uh, for what we saw there. You know what I'm saying? So we got to be careful. This is a completely different matchup here. Now, with Covington and Woodley would have been interesting because they are opposites, right? Because they are so opposite. Woodley's a counter-striker knockout artist where... Covington's a come-forward volume pitter-patter. Covington's su uh, submission, uh, grounded-pound offensive rides, whereas Woodley's more just shuts you down. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'll take a choke or a top position, and I'll throw a punch if I'm there, but I'm not trying to be there. Um, and that's what made that interesting, whereas these guys are very similar in the sense of they like to pressure and corral and work to their strengths, but just do it in much different ways. Usman is a is C Covington much more diverse footwork. He's really gonna have to lean on his lateral movement. His shuffling is resetting here, right? But Usman just quietly more impressive footwork in the sense of his corralling and shifting. He's really good at shifting away from the power side. Um, he seems to have a good eye for that, which is why left hands, which we'll get to, may be a problem for him. Um, but he's really good at the power side. And while he shifts away from the power side, he still keeps corralling hooks in play and closes down space really seamlessly and just makes it really look effortlessly. And in theory, he could do this all night. I see him definitely taking it to Covington and being able to, in, vary, in varying degrees, successfully do this early. Um, I'm just not sure what it looks like. Lo it looks like when Covington's hypothetically able to uh, 
scramble up and reset and make Usman have to work again, work much harder, and play Covington's game while he's at it. Um, Usman sounds like he wants to strike because, again, even though people had had, had, had some issues with this point, um, with the emotions, that's that's the intangible that I'm worried about here because there are a bunch of intangibles at play. Again, not taking away from Usman's win over Woodley, but all those intangibles Woodley had, well, guess who has to walk down Intangible Alley as the champ now? Usman, the newly minted champ. Now, he seems to have a healthy ego, seems to be professional in most aspects and most parts of the uh, parts of it, but now he's having a you know why was why was the negotiations on and off? What was going on? Did Usman need more time to to heal? I could totally see that, and maybe the UFC not giving it to him because you know he's maybe you know uh, maybe they're giving him the kind of that Woodley treatment where they like, oh you got to prove yourself more you know just get back in there fill the schedule come on don't be injured. Uh, and while, you know, if you're, you know, again, playing negative stereotypes here on the other side of it, you know, Ali Abdelaziz, who these guys come into power because they have such a big roster and the game these managers play is give and take. And granted, most of the high profile guys and the champions take more than they give. That doesn't mean they're not giving or making their clients that our champions give as well, too. You know what I'm saying? Um, so, uh, you, you know, and I say that because... He's coming back from a lot of injuries, you know. Even though he's the one coming from a layoff, granted it's not a year layoff, I almost kind of wish it was maybe a year layoff for Usman. I mean, he had an injured foot that got exacerbated uh, in the fight against Woodley. He had to have double hernia surgery. Okay, remember the last champ that came back from hernia surgery there, Robert Whitaker? Um, and then also had to get his knee treated, which apparently he didn't opt for surgery, just opted for rehab, which I guess is good and saves time on the comeback. But maybe he needed that surgery, you know, because looking back at his wrestling footage even, he says he's been fighting on it forever. I wonder if it goes back to his wrestling, which I'll touch on that page note that um, here in, in, in a few minutes uh, before I push on to the co-main. But yeah, he has to go through that intangible alley. And the other end... Capstone in the intangibles, back to what I was leading toward, was the emotions. Uh, and it was actually, again, not only do I not hate uh, Usman, because uh, just because I'm picking against him doesn't mean I hate him. I, 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 I like the guy. In fact, I was leaning toward picking him. Um, but it was actually UFC middleweight Julian Marquez that pointed something out to me when I was on his show. He asked me, he asked me, uh, or he pointed out, he went, you know, because it was right after, we were talking about Covington, because it was right after he beat Lawler, and he goes, if you notice at that post-fight desk thing, which I cite on my breakdown that, you know, um, Usman had, and he brought him up there for it, like, he lost his mind out, he, you know, he, he went right at him, and not even, like, the promotional way, where you could use it as a promo, or something cool, he didn't come off that way at all, and he didn't, he didn't keep his cool, it's not like, Covington surprised him. He won. He knew what happened. He had time to prepare himself. <laughs> Covington and Lawler were at the top of the bill. He got that assignment how many weeks out? Um, yet he couldn't keep his cool. And this is a guy that's like professional in almost every other aspect, pretty much. You know, uh, again, lots to like about this guy, dude. A dad, a single dad to a daughter. Um, always, you know, uh, dresses professional, does great commentary. Uh, Loved him when he was doing commentary with my dude, John Morgan. Shouts to John Morgan of the Real MMA Roadshow. Over there at Titan FC. Uh, you know, uh, dude's so professional, does such a great job. It's not like he's his first time at the ball game. He's not some rookie. This guy's a pro. 
And it quickly just, even with all the security clearly there, all that extra security while Kobe was all freaking mogged out, like, and he still went at, like, he just went, like, right at him. Like, he was back at the buffet line with him and Ali, attacking, trying to hop the rail and get at Kobe. And, and I was like, that's a really good point. And kind of even added in that point, just another layer to what even Julian was saying, because Julian does stuff for, for the UFC, and um, he, I think he even had some auditions he was preparing for. Because uh, those spots are so rare. It's so hard to get those death spots. They're so coveted. Because if you get the death spot and you do good, not just extra paychecks, extra exposure, extra value with the company, extra more money, more leverage, come negotiation time, more opportunities, more face time. Not just that. You can even maybe get in the commentary seat. Again, he has experience commentating. Titan FC, other places. He's good at it, Usman is. And, he's, and, 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 and Julian made a great point. He's like, dude, you blew that just for a fight that you're already going to get. You're the champion. They're all coming to you, dude. Don't limit your opportunities. Don't, you know. And also, what does that say for the fight? And so when I went back to watch it, but that is true. So I went back and watched, and I did notice this before, but again, putting in this in the, the emotional context, you know, the, the only time he really gets rocked where he really for sure gets rocked um, was the hater Hassan fight, right, as far as his UFC career goes. And we'll talk about this with Peter Yan as far as maybe some fighters need to get hurt to make them fight more dangerous, but it, it steps up the urgency in Usman, remember? And he goes back at him, and it's very dangerous to get one back. Again, that's the emotional. It worked out for Usman there. He actually got one of... His only two finishes in the UFC shortly after because he took him to the ground, grounded, pounded, and got the head and arm choke, right? So it was like, <laughs> that was scary, but maybe it was a good thing that Usman got rocked, right? And then even though some guy was coming at me, and I get it, he's an Usman fan, uh, I just wish he didn't talk to me like I was some MAGA dude. And like, do you see my profile picture? Like, I don't, well, this narrative you're projecting. Because again, everything has to be left or right in this world, folks. God for fucking bid, because politics aren't a part of our life as it is, right? Politics aren't a part of our timeline, even if you're like me and try to fucking curtail it out of there. Um, it still ends up in it as it is. Because yeah, let's let's just fucking all be uh, more miserable than we need to be, because there's not more important things in life, folks. But as he was giving me shit because I referenced the Hassan fight and the Meek fight because they were years ago. I, okay, 2015, four years ago, but that was the beginning of his UFC career for relevancy. Middle, which I actually looked, the Meek fight was actually in 2018. Granted, it's like a year and a half ago. Um, year and three quarters, but still, like it was just last year. And then, of course, the more relevant to and more recent and relevant to the matchup with Covington, um, the emotions that he showed there. Me, by the way, the fight with Meek, it, Meek didn't rock him. Uh, he was actually dominating Meek. He it was dominating the first round harder than any of the round, but Meek threw an elbow off of his back and cut him. And Usman got pissed. Um, and he just, and he, he needed the ref to separate him. He threw like almost two strikes after the bell. You know, everybody gives shit to GDR, even though it was um, Todd Anderson who. Again, I don't want to pick on 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 referees uh, here, like I was saying earlier, folks. But Todd Anderson, you know, he's got he's got one of the highest percentage races uh, races per percentage rates when it comes to referee biffs. But yet, no one talks about him. We all want to blame GDR, who's actually uh, seems like a really good fucking person. It, God, that pisses me off so much. Everybody demonized her two oh eight. Um, yeah, uh, it's just it's just really gross. And people ran with that narrative from media to otherwise. But um, I've already went on that tangent before. But yeah, um, why was I talking about GDR, the ref? Um, oh, hitting after the bell. Usman hit Meek after the bell. And again, 
I like Usman, and I just pointed out all these things, why he's great and professional, why I like him, why you should like him, da-da-da-da. But if you just saw that clip and didn't know Usman, you saw that clip of him hitting Meek after the bell, you'd be like, dude, this guy's an asshole. And that's not even him. So again, playing to the emotional thing, letting emotions get the best of him in a fight. Um, and he's shown that he can let the mo- get bo- emotions get the best of him in public, whether it's at the buffet line or um, at that press conference. And again, like the like the the dude up in my comments, like questioning, like think, saying that's the stupidest thing. Like I hinged my pick off of it solely, and I'm telling other people that's the reason why, which it's not. I, I never tell anybody uh, what to pick. I'm not trying. I'm never trying to sway you guys. I'm just telling you what I think. And when even when I say picks, I tell you don't fall off the cliff with me. Don't jump off the cliff. I'm just telling you what I'm playing. Like I'm the most. Caveat, non-intrusive motherfucker with my opinion. So when people come at me hard, got it, really. They're just telling on themselves how fucking silly they are. Um, but, yeah, the the emotions is a real thing because not only are all those, uh, that layered example, because God forbid, God forbid I give examples. The guy's coming at me for giving examples. Like, I mean, like, okay, I guess I should just be, I should stand here and make empty claims because that's what it makes a good human being. That what makes an informative media member. That's what makes a good analyst, right? doesn't help any of those fucking things so i'm gonna keep being informed for the informed people like you guys thank y'all for listening um the smart the the smart people here on the other end of the microphone the smart people uh and because again folks you're smart tell me when high emotions ever help to fight oh wait It, it, it 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 seldom does in fact those even fall in the sport a while high emotions usually Ruin a fight one way or another. They either ruin a fight by the bad blood fights end up ironically being boring. That one happens a lot. That's my favorite one, right, folks? Um, the fights either get ruined, like the example that I give, where in an immediacy, because they're reacting in fight, kind of like, again, the hater Hassan thing for Usman, it worked out for him, but sometimes it doesn't work out for you. See UFC 198, Fabricio Verdum, Stipe Miocic. I get that they're heavyweight folks. But it's the theme, right? He gets hit with leg kicks. He doesn't like it. He feels like he has to get one back and he pays for it. Okay? Then there's also the kind of middle route where they, the bad blood, they come in. They they don't do the boring thing. They do what they say. They start doing it well. They're not even fighting uh, reckless like Verdum. Maybe they're fighting the game plan and they're doing it well, but... All of a sudden, fighters that maybe have never tired, and Osman has never tired, nor am I counting them to tire, but again, we've seen it time and time again, fighters that never tire, or at least they, okay, they're winning, um, it's not a slow fight, but it's not that fast of a fight, why is this person so tired? The emotions made them more tired, they got tired faster. Again, I just, I just took, I, I had a problem with three examples, well, I just raised you three more examples. As far as why high emotions are bad. So for all the analysis I could give you, and I'm about to give you before we move on here to the co-main event, it really doesn't matter if these intangibles come to play. I don't talk about intangibles a lot, folks. I try not to. I try to focus more on the techniques. But these are real palpable intangibles that should make you worry if if, if, um, if you really uh, you know are as afraid and hate Covington as much as the world seems to. And again, I'm not definitely not... Uh, supporting, I, I feel bad for the guy. It's the answer I gave Julian Marquez on said podcast, and it's the one I said now. Not because I'm defending him, because I know that that's really bad too, right? You, you can't, you know, you gotta be careful what words you use, because it's it's the word police. Just like if you talk about Conor McGregor, you gotta mention the rape allegations, which I did, by the way. And I'm not a McGregor defender here by any means. I'm just 
pointing out this weird kind of, um, and again, I'm more left, I've only voted left or whatever, but there's just this weird kind of uh, word policing and very uh, just kind of, yeah. Uh, again, folks, I don't even want to get into that because it all of a sudden becomes one side or the other, and I hate that. I think it's all stupid. Um, I love y'all, members of the media, uh, y'all my friends, and I agree with a lot of you. I probably agree with most of them on both sides of things, to be honest. It's just if you go too hard on one side or the other, that's where I kind of start getting off. I go, okay, now you're just now you're just contributing to a problem at a certain contributing to the problem at a certain point. So I'm gonna stop doing that myself. I'm gonna try my best um, to focus on the technics. And I put left hands and leg kicks because again, like I said, with Kamar Usman shifting, he has a good rear hand radar, but. Left hands seem to land on him the most, perhaps because most fighters you face are orthodox. And if you're worried about that rear power hand, sometimes some guys have a propensity to get hit by that lead hand. Maybe he's one of those guys, maybe not, uh, because he was getting hit by the rear hand by Damian Maya. Now, Maya is not a knockout artist, although he has underrated striking. And again, he was on short notice, so if his wrestling was compromised, well, his striking output and power was probably compromised as well, right? Uh, that being said... His percentage just didn't reflect in the 90 percentile Damian Maya's, but his left cross every time he threw that, that was up in the 90 percentiles. It pretty much landed. And that's Colby Covington's punch. Again, he's not a knockout artist or, but by any means, but that volume gets the better of most guys, annoys most people. And a guy, again, that's already three steps past already being annoyed. Usman was annoyed fucking yesterday. Forget on fight night, right? Um, how does that placate, you know? Again, most guys weren't able to push that offense, uh, offensive grappling. And because they were worried about Usman's grappling, it means they couldn't push their offense off a normal offensive striking from numbers to weapons because most guys were striking heavy uh, for the most part that Usman faced at a UFC level. So again, Covington's not a knockout artist, but if he can scramble and get back to his feet and just generally not have that fear because he operates with that confidence as far as what the wrestling exchanges will hold, I do think Usman's power will mute some of the volume, but not a lot of it, especially when you're throwing just some of the top volume in any division, uh, which is Colby Covington. Um, also, leg kicks, because Colby Covington's a deceptively good kicker. They don't lose steam. They, uh, he variates levels all the time. Um, and Usman doesn't kick. Not only does Usman not kick, he doesn't block kicks well. Not only does Usman not kick, not only does Usman not block kicks well, he doesn't counter kicks well, which is I always grade more harshly when wrestlers, especially jiu-jitsu guys, which Usman is not, I'm just saying, um, grapplers in general, wrestlers or jiu-jitsu guys, I feel like those are missed opportunities if you're not incorporating catch-kick counters because whether you're a jiu-jitsu guy that does no wrestling, you should be taking those gifts. Whether you're just a jiu-jitsu guy that has wrestling, you still don't want to have to depend on the energy your wrestling takes. And what if you're wrestling, even if you're a better wrestler for a jiu-jitsu guy, you run into a wrestler who has better wrestling than you, um, well, why not make him pay for when he throws a leg kick, right? And of course, if you're a wrestler, you don't want to spend the energy. Um, and as I say, a guy has good leg kicks, catch a couple, make him think twice about doing it. You know, again, there's just so many reasons to do it. And especially when you come from... Um, whether Dutch, traditional, Thai, or kickboxing schools or coaches, I just don't see why that – I, I mark it against you if you're not doing that. And uh, he doesn't do that either. So I feel like Colby Covington can have carte blanche in the kicking department. Um, 
and essentially, yeah, I mean, between between the intangibles and, and the volume and being able to scramble and just Usman never really facing that kind of a matchup. Um, it could be a bad. It's a. It's an interesting one. You could say it's a bad matchup both ways. The argument is there on both sides. I, I'm just gonna take the Covington side here, folks. Well, don't hate me for it. Um, that doesn't mean I like Trump. I don't. <laughs> okay. Uh, but I did play Covington because, as much as I'm complaining about these politics and narratives, rarely do we get this. And as a better, you need to. You need to take these things. Now, I don't want to say a gift because who knows? Uh, Usman, again, he's the deserved favorite. I don't think he should be that much of a favorite. Not that he's an atrocious favorite. I just don't think he should be that much of a favorite. Uh, so, again, I'm not saying it's some kind of steal, some kind of obvious thing or this or that. we got to see how the fight fucking plays out. But as a better, you do need to look for intangibles, whether they're positive intangibles or, or, uh, trend, or, you know, um, what do you call the, the, these narratives that bleed over. Uh, common sense, right? Because it's really rare. For example, Ronda Rousey, she's the the, the beloved sweetheart. Um, remember when the opening lines were what it was, Nunez and stuff? Or like, you know, because it's Ronda Rousey and like people in the know, like, dude, she's going to get smashed by um, Amanda uh, Nunez, right? Or in the negative, which is Colby Covington, where people are going to bet against this person just because they hate him. Not, not matter. They're still they're going to overinflate like a Ronda, and they're going to kind of underrate a Covington. So just by that nature alone, it should kind of make you better. Raise an eyebrow. I'm not telling you where to put my money, but if you want to know where I put mine, I put two units on Covington at plus one sixty, and I even made a trip up to the uh, up to the book on that one. All right, next fight here. Sorry, that one took a minute. Uh, Alexander Volkanovsky is challenging for the title as a plus 155 underdog. Max Holloway, minus 175. Again, man, I like Holloway too, obviously. Hawaiian guy, I don't know him though. It's not like we're buddies or anything. But honestly, just because I'm pick, picking against Alexander Volkanovsky doesn't mean I don't like him. In fact, this is, was a hard one. I've never picked either of these guys before, you know? If Willem Dafoe from Spider-Man wanted to do the, you have to do it, Parker. Chose and just drops them both at the same time. I may actually say Volkanovsky. Wow, Dan, that was a really dark analogy. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm saying I really like this guy, man. He's really hard not to like. Um, I just, just, I really like just the humble, you know, chopping the polys, uh, Australian uh, attitudes, man. I, I love Aussies. Never, I don't think I've met one I didn't like. Um, in MMA or through my travels on the road, because they are a traveling people. Let me tell you that. Uh, but it's hard to pick anybody who against Max Holloway, especially when it's their first five-round fight. Like, your first five-round fight in MMA is against Max Holloway. Now, Volkanovski has had five-round fights before. He just never went the five rounds. He's went to round four twice outside of the UFC. Uh, I don't think he's been scheduled for a five-round fight much more than that. He has never been scheduled for five rounds or went past three in the UFC, which is where it really matters, though, folks. Although Volkanovski, to his credit, did fight winning competitions, like he was fighting cans. I'm just saying the UFC standard, it's pretty clear. That's how we do most of our analysis, especially on this show, right? Um, that is tough. Can he, can he change gears? Now, again, that common thread, it was a super impressive performance uh, that he did against Al, uh, Aldo, you know? He was starting combinations with kicks and finishing them with jabs, kind of doing it backwards, right, but doing it well throwing away shots and fakes and feints all in between and all interconnecting and changing. It was a really nice performance while mixing in clinch, even though he couldn't get Aldo down. Um, 
which was not really that too much of a surprise because Aldo just heavily prioritizes defense, right? Ah. But um but yeah, it was really it was really good. But again, you know, Aldo, like Woodley, older guy, fights in bursts, and although Aldo didn't look out of shape or there were no um, Pettineris claims for in- Andre Pettineris claims of injury. Uh, I, there were quotes ahead of it where he, you know, he said, "Oh, I think I'm going to beat this guy a lot easier than uh, people think," and it sounded like he was taking Alex uh, light- lightly in that that sense. Not saying he did, and not saying it would have mattered. Again, I picked Alex, assuming they were both coming in at their best. Um, just saying, it's just, it's just something to think about. Now you're going to go against, you're going to go from, you know, because both guys are going from more defense, counter, low burst pace oriented fighters to literally hands down the most highest pace fighters in their division and facing Colby Covington or Max Holloway. But then also uh, the craziest uh, pace fighters in any division, right, uh, as far as that goes. And now back toward Holloway, this matchup, one of the best five-round fighters. That's who That's who you're going to face you know, for your first one. And, and Volkanovski, his strength is pace and pressure, right? And that's what he uses on guys. And so if his wrestling's not working against Aldo, he'll break you down in other ways. If um, you're a good striker, he's going to, you know, taking you down and breaking you down, uh, you know, uh, or... or you know, a good, a good grappler, um, he's going to take that advantage away from you, like a J- Jeremy Kennedy, you know. Um, good striker will take you down and just beat you up. I, I don't know if he can do that with Holloway. I don't know if he can take him down. Holloway is so hard to take down. Good balance in the open, good get-up game. Um, even <laughs> even Brian Ortega couldn't take advantage of it in the scrambles. Uh, so it's going to have to be on the feet. And... Then on the feet, you're really leaning on your main weapon of pace there. Uh, not just grappling, but pace for Volkanovski. Now you're not having that. So now you're having to lean on your striking now. He's a very well-rounded fighter, and under Eugene Behrman, his striking is catching up very fast. Um, and that's what has me nervous here because he's training with City bo- Kickboxing, Eugene Behrman. Even though I may pick against their guys, it doesn't mean I don't respect them, man. I, dude, I'm, respect- I'm, I'm, I'm going against two of my favorite coaches this card. Hint, hint. Um, and in camp, so it has nothing to do with that. It doesn't mean I don't respect these people. Again, folks, to be that point with a horse. Um, it also made me take the gas off of thinking about betting Holloway because it's a very playable line, minus 175, but out of respect, I haven't played Holloway. I'm picking him here to do it by decision because uh, I have a hard time seeing Volkanovski take him down, and if it's a kickboxing match, um, I feel like... Don't get me wrong, Max Holloway gets hit by right hands in all forms, whether it's counter right hooks from a southpaw stance in Poirier, counter right hands from an orthodox stance in um, Lamas, come forward right hands from both shifting stances in Ortega, uh, Superman right hand, which is, you know, that Alexander Volkanovsky has shown a throw, um, Edgar hit. Frankie Edgar, you know, at his age and his advanced career, hit Max Holloway with that in the fourth round. Didn't hurt him, but I'm just saying, right hands in all forms hit Max Holloway all day. Excuse me. And even though Volkanovski has pretty much, like, uh, evolved everything besides the right hand, which is good and he needed to under city kickboxing, the right hand is still his money shot. 
So, the, like I said, the breakdown, the chickens could come home to roost for Max Holloway here in the form of a knockout, whether it's by the right hand or spinning elbow. Um, I think Edgar even hit like a spinning elbow or back fist on Holloway as well. And Holloway, of course, like he does, he incorporates weapons and hits them back. And I think he did one of his own. Same with the spin sidekicks because that's what Holloway does. But those two things, the overhand right and the spinning back fist slash elbow are the things I could see getting an upset knockout for Volkanovski. Um, if he fights the perfect fight, I think he could squeeze out a competitive decision as well. But it's hard to see anybody beating decisions, especially on their first try to five-round fight. So I'm going to go Max Holloway um, by uh, by decision. By the way, that Edgar fight, man, ended UFC 240. Max Holloway beat him, and he was standing there with his kid. That was heartbreaking. The sports, Bobby D. Bobby D, the Irishman. That's uh, that's Edgar. Edgar is the Irishman. It's going to go. I'm going to do the career retrospective. <laughs> All right, uh, next fight. Uh, Amanda Nunes, minus 310, defending her Bantamweight title against Duran Durandamy in the rematch. Come back on Durandamy, plus 255. Again, I'm a big fan of GDR. Um, always, uh, not always, actually. I picked against her last fight. Um, but I always got respect for her, though. That's for dang sure. Just against grapplers, it's hard to tell. We haven't really seen her against any grappler since she lost to Nunes, which was her last loss, and it was via grappling. Uh, that's why I picked Lad. Unfortunately, we didn't see that. Obviously, the pretty much almost the first right hand that the fight's called. Um, not going to re-crack open that can of worms. Didn't have that big of an issue with it, really. But, like, um, just saying, like, it was just a fight that was, you know. It could have been, it could have been more conclusive. Um, and I would have liked to have seen more, uh, obviously. So we could see where Jermaine's grappling's at. We have seen people like Overeem or... Musasi from the Netherlands, uh, they produce good grapplers like them. But, I, you know, it, it's really hard to tell where uh, Durandamy is, you know. Like, her takedown defense, if you look at it, it steadily does get better um, for every time we've seen it. But then even, like, against Anna Elmos, like, where it's it, it's it's shown to get better at this point. Like, it made a jump from Strike Force to UFC, and then it made a jump from early UFC to... Um, you know, after that, you know, <clears throat> and even in Elmos, like she's doing like, oh, okay, cool. She's not falling over her own feet. She's defending well against the cage, but she just stays there. That's a problem. She stays against the cage. And if you're going to stay there, that's not good. Um, against Amanda Nunes, who is the judo and jujitsu and wrestling from American top team. She's shown, you know, she can go from a tie clench right down to an ankle pick. Uh, she can, you know, get takedowns, uh, double leg against the cage. She can change her level in the open and do all the normal judo stuff as well. Um, and the only time GDR really got herself off the cage is when she tie plumbed Ana Elmos and Ana backed up. And um, if you guys know about grappling and, and whatnot in MMA or have watched enough of it, um, you'll know that there's a reason why most people can't just tie plumb somebody and get them off them when their back's against the fence it's not supposed to work uh, which kind of says the level of grappling that was at play there so it's really tough to tell where, where your gdr is at so for that reason um between the long tommy hearns like ladies with their long frames and heavy right hands i will go with amanda nunez and her improved jab and footwork again i'm a shevchenko uh i'm a shevchenko fan and of course, so of course i thought 
you know, she won the second fight, not vehemently. You can't really make a, 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 a that hard of a line argument in such a low output fight like that. But even that being said, my fandom and how I scored the fight aside, you know, it's still impressive how far Amanda Nunes has come from being that fighter that just fell apart after the first round and showing that she can, you know, keep a high pace. Granted, she was in the driver's seat for the Raquel Pennington face. And again, the, the Shevchenko rematch wasn't the most torrid fight, but she showed to fight smart. She could fight for five rounds, distance management against a very potent and fast counter striker. And listening to Amanda Nunes talk, and props to Nunes, man. I know I gave her hard times early, um, but, you know, we're seeing more of her personality come through now that, at least for Western audiences, that is, um, now that, she, you know, she's doing a bang-up job with her her English. And um, I really like what she was saying, more importantly, with that English as far as strategy. She knows what she has to do, but I also like that when she was explaining the options of this fight. And even more so, talking about things like watching tape on Duran and me and saying she doesn't perhaps move the same. And I could I could see some of that, too, you know. Um, you know, I used to wonder if Nunes maybe didn't have that physicality, but she answered that, too, again, with fights with, you know, the Cyborg and, and Holly Holmes of the world when she faced similar parodies of length or, or physicality, right? And uh, Duran and me, it's, it's hard to say, Um not just because you're using mass, you wouldn't fight Cy- Cyborg or whatever, or, or didn't fight Cyborg, and, you know, went five rounds that kind of got competitive because she looked to kind of slow down as the fight went on, which all, could also be something to look for, right, uh, against home. Whereas, obviously, Amanda starched both those girls in the first round. But even if you go back and look at, I think it was Brenda Dujavayev or something, I forget what it's called. But, like, I, mean, I know, it's crazy. I did heavy research on these top three. Not as much on the bottom, so it's going to go a lot faster, folks, for the prelims here. I'm going to speed through, and I'll admit the ones I didn't watch a lot of tape on. But, yeah, doing amateur wrestling to um, Muay Thai in this week's tape study. Um, but this girl, she was about Amanda's size, and which, was, which meant she was about Jermaine's size, and she could hang in the clench with Jermaine. But more importantly... Um, she could. She was throwing, you know, straight shots and was uh, pretty decent uh, on the feet and was actually even able to rock Jermaine with a head kick at one point. And she arguably probably came the closest to beating Durandami in Muay Thai. Um, so it's just something to look at, even when Durandami was at her quote unquote most athletic. If you wanna, if you wanna go by that theory, um, she still had issues with competent strikers of that parity. And again, you throw in the ground game. I think Anunez gets a. I think she plays safe at first, but gets it done in the middle rounds. I picked as early as round two, but it could be round three or four. I do think that she plays a little safe and shows a little more of her game and then waits for that opportunity. She talked, again, I talked about criticizing people not catching kicks and counters. She even mentioned, like, if she kicks, it's going to be a mistake. And if you look at the first fight, that's kind of what she used to close space initially. She got the takedown against the fence, but she used a caught kick to get that again that's why catching kicks are important folks next fight marlon marais minus 225 jose aldo come back plus 185 yeah this is tough um you know initially it's like you want i went to look against okay how did marlon marais do against other kickers but again aldo hasn't really kicked and with the, with the holloway one you could excuse it or in my case i was one of the few at least in the first fight forecasting it that was a talking point for most people even for the second fight Ooh, what if they bring it back this time no, the point is the way Max fought him and the way Max typically fights, kind of like with the means comparison, they make you pay for leg kicks all day. They'll make you shelf him. But Aldo's kind of shelved him since he kind of broke his foot, I believe, 
um, I think it was a Korean zombie. And so he's really not, not used them a lot. You, know, you get injured and it kind of takes you away from doing that. Uh, a lot of things when you injure something badly. So it could be a lot of that too, right? Um, however, Jose Aldo's stature and the fact that he's a counter striker and he just has that mean counter right hand that is still there, right? That's what stands out for me because Marlon Moraes, okay, we could look at it like, okay, a grappler. It's got to be a good grappler. I mean, a really good one, right? Because most of us, including myself, didn't pick Henry Cejudo to beat him. Oh, well, Henry Cejudo showed that fortitude, reminded us that he has that, that he's a game day performer, and he pressured him, and, and you know, uh, Marlon Moraes had to drop off a cliff pretty fast. Now, when I went back to rewatch that fight, there was a lot of body work and uh, knees to the head and body that I think took it out of Moraes. It wasn't just him gassing, because he, he's shown that he manages pace pretty decently. Like, he didn't show that he was going to be a, a terrible five-round fighter. Like, I, did I pick him to be a cardio king? No. But I actually thought he was better built for five rounds than guys like Rafael Sunsau, which isn't the, the hugest stretch because Rafael is deceptively slows down, but he's just so technical. He covers his tracks and he's older, so it would make sense. It's, it's not that harsh of a criticism or much of a surprise. But I guess I'm just saying that it surprised me um, that Marlon just kind of dropped off so fast until I went back to rewatch the fight, of course. Now, Aldo, again, it's like we were talking about with the Woodley comparison, burst fighter, he's not going to... Um, he never really was that type of fighter. Maybe he was, he was much more wilder in his early days, but he wasn't like a wild process guy. He's just going to fucking blanket the field with a machine gun spray of volume and see you in the scorecards. You know what I'm saying? Um, he was just, he was a sniper still. He was just a more aggressive sniper, more aggressive to make those opportunities happen, uh, of connection. Whereas now obviously he's much more reserved, but if you look at Marlon Moraes from early to later, you know, it's the reason why he got edged out against the first time against the Sun Sal. And um, he uh, he beat Josh Hill both times in WSOF, the second time much more decisive. But the reason why Josh Hill gave him a very tough fight, especially that first time around, is because Josh Hill was more of a stout, muscular guy, a wrestler, but he actually stayed back and just had a really mean counter right. Um, and that just counter right hands just seem to be a kryptonite of sorts to, uh, right hands in general to Marlon Moraes. I mean, even just coming forward, remember when like Henry Cejudo threw like four in a row and landed on him. So man, if, if Aldo was, you could guarantee that he was going to be himself at Bantamweight, I would pick him here. Um, it's just the weight cut, you know, I know there's the edited Photoshop pictures going around, but still. It can't be good. I don't care what they're saying. It can't be good. Oh, you never dieted before. I thought that's what you guys said last time. You know? I thought you guys learned this lesson already with Burrell. And then you said you cleaned it up with him, right? Oh, did you just not do it for your other world champion? Who was more successful and had a higher ceiling? We just ignored him? Like, come on. Whatever the story is there, it's not good. Whatever version, it's not good. Um... So for that reason, I do I do I think Marais is just is is you know you look at the the what the light kicks were doing and how many of those kick I think like Volkanovski what do Volkanovski like fifty for fifty nine on light kicks against Jose Aldo like they were light kicks granted which is why they were fifty for fifty nine <laughs> you don't get that high unless you're throwing quick light kicks but even those quick light kicks added up and even those quick light kicks swelled up Aldo's leg a bit the hailed leg kicker. 
So I think we're going to see Aldo on the wrong end of kicks in this fight, and it's going to be hard to watch. I think Marais gets it done inside, but I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not willing to bet whether it's... Uh, it seems that the odds seem to indicate that. I don't know. Uh, I, I think he does probably by the second round, I would say, which would make the over-under just about right. But I think Marias is more of a parlay piece. I threw him in a fun parlay here, and I'll give that to you guys at the end. But Marley, Mar- Marlon Marais of the parlay I did, he is the main piece that I would, if I were like to give me one parlay piece, like gun to the head, like that would probably be it. All right, next fight. Peter Yan minus 485. Come back on your right favor, plus 385. You know, I tweeted earlier. It's unfair. You could you could really technically say this about any card, especially in MMA, uh, where it's so volatile uh, by nature. But the biggest favorites on this card, really, you could argue, shouldn't be as or you know, it shouldn't be as big of a favorite as 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 they are. Because I'm as high on Peter on as, as y'all are. I mean, I got hooked my 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 Griffin Bonner moment for ACB ACB 32 watching. Uh, Jan versus Maga Madoff won such a great fight. His only loss by split decision. Um, watching that live and then going back to watch it since. Just awesome. But the thing is, Peter Jan will put himself in a firefight. He'll get hit. Granted, he gets hit with more with lefts as well. He's more gets hit with a left hand kind of a guy. But counters nonetheless because shifting numbers, offense. It's a two way street, folks. And Peter Jan dances full fledged down that street. I put here, he reminds me of Max Holloway. If Max Holloway just stood in front of you a whole lot more and didn't shift off to angles as much as Max Holloway does, um, and Jan probably should do a lot more of, especially for how quick his feet are, he kind of has no excuse because he scrambles so goddamn well. He moves so damn well in the clinch because he's got those quick little judo and boxing feet that are just so well-trained. But he stays in front of you long, and it's open for counters. And we saw what Uriah Faber, even advanced Uriah Faber, can still do. Granted, it was, you know, and not dissing or whatever to Ricky Simone, but Ricky Simone is still a good fighter and still a a fighter in his prime, right? Um, And still a fighter who's only been, like, technically uh, knocked out the one time, even though he gets dropped a lot. But nevertheless, I digress. Uh, The point is Faber can still technically make him pay. Furthermore... Jan will go for takedowns. Jan will pull guard and go for a leg lock. And whether he goes for the takedown, pulls guard, uh, even though that was only really one time he really did that in the UFC, but still, whether he did that, went for the takedown, pulled guard, or got taken down, he turtles to stand and he does it fast and he re-swims his underhook to avoid getting his back taken, which I like. But I don't know if you want to play that game with the guy who built his career off of that game, scrambles and taking your back. Um, Jan will be doing really well, and he will constantly find himself, oftentimes even initiate him, uh, initiating them, getting into needless scrambles. So it's like you have a, a striking style that opens up for the counter, uh, for a counter single shot, Uriah Faber, and you get in needless scrambles where your answer is to give your back, Uriah Faber. Um... Basically, if Uriah Faber gets back up to plus four to one underdogs or up, um, I'm probably going to sprinkle out of him just out of principle there. But the pick is for Peter Jan to actually um, make an uncomfortable, either stop him an uncomfortable amount of strikes in round two or making the corner stop it between round two and three uh, from beating up uh, Faber so bad. But that being said, it's not like there's not a. Uh, not like there's not a 
viable pick there um, as far as like, or a viable path, I should say, um, as, as far, as far as, as, as far as the dog goes, uh, what I say, yep. Yawn more dangerous than hurt. Also, yeah. Faber hangs out way too much toward the end of the fence to counter though. And that's also where Eon tends to make his money. So even though that counter will be a looming threat, he'll be essentially giving Yawn a runway to style on him the whole time. So that's the reason why I'm picking Yawn there. All right. That ends the main card. Let's go to the prelims. Another fight that's uh, probably wider than it needs to be, but it has come down to earth a little bit. It was almost getting to that 3-1 to one range, or was, I believe, which is Jeff Neal, minus 255, versus Mike Perry. Come back on Perry, plus 215 as the dog. Uh, I'm taking Jeff Neal here. It's just I just feel it's closer than expected. I actually spent a surprising amount of fight uh, time watching this fight, despite it actually ending up on the avoid list. Yeah, first on the avoid list that we've gotten to. Um, just because it's too big of a favorite and too uh, too high of a price on the favorite, even though it's dropping still for Neil because it feels like a trap fight. Even though you can say that about his last fight. I mean, Nico Price is the trap fight of all trap fights, and he, you know, but he got past that, and, and not only a trap fight, but a Florida man, right? I mean, what better training for Mike Perry? By the way, I do love that uh, when I tweeted, Nico Price actually liked that tweet, and then referenced that uh, in, a, in an interview later that said, people were talking about the Florida man title, I think we should do one, Mike, me and Mike Perry. And of course, you know, I got to use my spring break, spring break for Elva. <laughs> uh, I know I already quoted that movie once this podcast stopped Dan but um, <clears throat> but yeah I went back to watch a lot of his, his his fights and it's just so crazy you know again kind of like with the Colby Covington thing personalities kind of cloud our view of fighting styles and that's happened so many times when you look at the odds the performances to my opinion to the general population's opinion whenever it was the same or different um it's been all over the place, and oftentimes it's never matching to where actually Perry is. Now, it also didn't help that Perry, like midway through, granted it was only for like a fight, uh, two fights or two and a half fights, fight camps, went to Jackson Wink, but we saw kind of a decrease in his game. Whereas, like you watch certain fights, like the Ponzinibbio fight, even though he he lost by unanimous decision, like he he looked good in that fight. Like even though he didn't win, like just as far as like what he was doing, like I felt like he was really on the verge of finding himself despite losing those fights. Of course, he has a really bad performance against Max Griffin um, after that, and then he goes to Jackson Wink. Uh, but then they got I think feel like they got him away with their like kind of like default all rote. Uh, style and like game plan and combinations and rote combinations and game plans don't seem to be something that work with Mike Perry. Mike Perry seems like he's more of a f free flowing power power puncher who does his best job when he's coming forward, fainting and countering. Um, he just seems like he does deceptively well at that. And if you look at early in his career, he was doing that. He was kind of just faint baiting and countering and crashing. And when he finds his rhythm doing that. He really does well, and even though I was, I was amongst those who who scored at twenty nine twenty eight with a actually a thirty twenty seven lean toward Luke because that's just such a crazy match where you could really score it both ways. You could make arguments for both ways, but at the end at the end of the day, the damage was on one guy, and still some people can bleed easier. Some damage was done by a first round, so that means you shouldn't 
be putting like super heavy weight on it come the third round. I mean, Luque was doing new damage almost every round as well. So it didn't make it too hard to want to side with them in the close rounds. Uh, but I did give live and rewatch and all that credit to Mike Perry because he was showing some really good adjustments, uh, particularly in that second round. And I really liked how he went to the body, which was something that I totally forgot about. Uh, speaking of body work, I, when I, I went back to watch uh, Jeff Neal versus Bilal Muhammad, and Bilal showed, even though Bilal was drawing empty and drawing blank, not for lack of trying, not for lack of balls, because Bilal has balls, Bilal has skills, and he was trying. Um, it just nothing was working until he finally went to the body. And, you know, everybody's got to have a weakness somewhere, like that boss in the video game, you know? Um, and sometimes it's the body, and it's surprising, because usually it's the guys that are, like, really tough and, and seldom hurt, then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, what the heck? They're hurt to the body. Oh, they don't like that. And 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 uh, Bilal, though he's again as about as well rounded as it gets. So it's not. I don't. I wouldn't dare say Bilal's not good at anything. And I'm not trying to say that here. But Bilal's not exactly known as a body puncher either. So against a guy who's durable like Bilal and is, is just stubborn as shit to get out of there like Bilal, which is Mike Perry. Now you add in the Mike Perry power and his willingness to box and go to the body and really stay and work in that pocket for better or worse. Well, this fight just becomes a whole lot livelier. And then you factor in his underrated grappling. Mike Perry's always had underrated takedown defense, grappling, um, and clinch work. He's all, real dangerous in the clinch, you know. he. Uh, I can't remember who I took. I want to say I took Mike Perry in a fight but made it like a fight to avoid because it was just super crazy. Um... But, yeah, for as good as Alex Oliveira is in the clinch, he outstruck Alex Oliveira in the clinch as well. Um, you know, so I do think he's getting better, but it's just for reasons, like I said, we've all been off. Or if you you know you look at sports book, general population, media, my picks and theories probably even on this show compared to where the odds were, what actually happened. Everything's on different pages for the most part. So it's really tough. I'm going to go with Jeff Neal. Um, but for that reason, that fight's on the avoid list. Because even though it's a, a good favorite line for a guy who's live like Mike Perry, I don't know how much I can really feel good about, you know, uh, picking Mike Perry either. So with the matchup being as fun as it is, why not just crack a, make it a matchup? You just crack a beer on and not, 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 not sweat it and ruin it. Just enjoy the fuck out of that fight, will you? Will you? Next fight, Ketlin Vieira, minus 170. Arin Aldana, comeback, pl plus 150. This one is also on the uh, avoid list, folks. Um, I didn't do much tape study on this. I only had time to... It was the last fight I watched. Um, I only had time to uh, watch the split decision, which shouldn't have been a split decision, at UFC 222, Kat Zingano and Caitlin Vieira. Just remind myself, Caitlin Vieira's skills. Uh, so I couldn't really see her progressions or where she came from. But yeah, she just has a really measured high percentage, like... Uh, you know, the Brazilian Nova Anyao style, counter left hook, right hand, not too many power kicks, we'll throw them in, we'll counter your kicks if you allow her, she has good wrestling, good clinch takedowns from her judo, um, just really good sense for things, strikes inside the clinch, and I like that, she doesn't get ahead of herself, because she's coming back from a big layoff, but also uh, injury. Now, the injury happened at the end of 2018 while her last fight was at the beginning of 2018, knee. And I don't really see stuff of her in the gym till like, summertime of this year. But 
I, it's probably a good thing that she had all that time to rehab, but still, it's, it's still a layoff. It's still a rehab off of surgery. You don't know where she's at. What trends well is that she's not like a wild st- stylist. Again, she keeps herself very contained, um, which is good She keep, uh, if you're coming back from injury. That's the kind of style you want to have when you're coming back from injury. But against the high volume and, and movement of Aldana, will the refs be swayed by the volume she puts out there? Will Aldana put enough volume, be able to put enough volume out there without being countered um, or taken down? Um, I think that Caitlin Vieter will get enough takedowns to earn some rounds and be able to hold on the feet enough to get two out of three rounds. Uh, I think the over is worth playing, and I put... I know I put said I put this on the avoid list. I actually I lied, I guess, in the sense that I'm on the over just for the fun parlay. Other than that, I didn't touch this fight. Over 2.5. Um it's minus 370. It's it's it it's 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 a whole, you know. Uh yeah, it, it's a whole two X up from uh the price for Vieira straight up. But I just I maybe because I like Aldana and I give her more credit than most people. And I think now she's finally starting to come around after she's accrued some wins. Um but uh I don't think she's gonna finish her either because even though Vieira's really good on the ground and I think she gets into the ground, I don't think she finishes Aldana. Um not just because Aldana's never been submitted in her career, but like even though she's known for her boxing, like she's been doing jujitsu for a while. Like jujitsu is really what she started with as well. In a sense, I mean, she's been competing and meddling since like 2012. Um, you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, there's probably a, a reason why she hasn't been submitted. Um, she just prefers to stand and strike, and that's where she tends to make her money. That's where she has the advantages on paper with her length. So, I, I get it. I'll be rooting for Aldana here. The pick is Vieira, but it's on the avoid list aside from the over, which is in a for fun parlay, which I will give. Uh, at the end of the podcast, or when, as well as when the the, the final leg, there's only uh, only a three leg. Like the odds are stupid for that, anyways. And I mean, you shouldn't be parlaying, folks. But you get what I'm saying here. Hopefully, all right. Pick is Vieta though. All right, Ian Heinish minus one forty. Omari Ahmedov, a Durka Durka Jihad. Um, Ahmedov, uh, plus one twenty for the Dagestani. Um, this was kind of surprising. I, I, for some reason, I, the, the, the spread seems about right. It should be close. It shouldn't be farther apart than this. I just thought it may, might be flipped, especially with Heinish's last performance. Heinish was a guy I got burned on early, and then I, until I realized, I'm like, oh, no, he's just the guy that, like, you want him against pace guys where they get tired. And, like, those are the exact guys he's supposed to beat because he makes guys work, to, and he's pretty damn durable to where, like, if you can't knock him out, I mean, he scrambles so well and he's hard to submit. You really got to, like, clearly beat this guy or find a way to finish him um, like Marcus Maluco Perez did. And Maluco Perez was another guy I kind of uh, was overly harsh about, and then I overcorrected, and then I guess I was right, but just was overly harsh about it and, you know, wasn't as good as perhaps I uh, wasn't as good as I thought. He's just Marcus Perez, a man who imitates other uh, uh, fights in layered imitations. Um so, yeah, it just makes the Ian Heinish sample size all fucking goofy. Forget about the contenders thing, which is crazy because they throw these guys in way ahead. And then the worst part is, is these guys will win their fight. Now they're stuck at this level. Uh, and we'll talk about two guys that are really in danger of doing that. And they're actually are, should have technically been fighting sooner. We'll get to those uh, shortly here. But I really like Ian Heinish. I really like his story. story. Again, speaking about loving camps, uh, but, but, Sometimes finding yourself picking against them. 
Y'all know Mark Montoya is my favorite coach, man. Uh, you know, Eugene Bar- Behrman's catching up real fast. I really like Eugene style. Uh, but, but yeah, um, I, but I, I, I just feel like this is a deceptively close fight. Ock Madoff, again, you feel like I, I, Heinish is tailor made to fight guys who fade, but then he should have beaten Derek Brunson right now. I'll admit I did not go back to watch that fight. So, Take what you will from what I say, my pick, and my possible play here. Uh, but the fact that he was just, like, kind of gassing and falling apart, and he had, like, that one moment. But even aside from gassing, he really wasn't doing as well, which I get because Derek Brunson has, you know, kind of fixed stuff as far as getting more of a process and actually getting a coach finally again, going a hard knock 365 down there with Henry Hooft. And that actually seemed to serve him well, which make, it actually makes sense that it, that it would and should have. Um Heinish also, you know, he didn't want to take any credit. You know, he did say uh, he was a bit sick in that camp or whatever. Um, but, you know, you look at it, and uh, he looked like, you know, he said that might have affected his conditioning, but you look at it, he looked really ripped. In fact, he looked in better shape than most fights going into that. And I went back and scanned his Instagram. And in this fight, he didn't look as in good a shape. And then I listened to an interview, uh, shout out to James Lynch on the, the score, uh, saying that he actually never really did nutrition plans. Um, but he actually did one uh, with, I believe, Tyler Mealy, uh, who has plenty of experience, obviously. But, like, it's his first time doing it. And he said it was weird because it made him eat more than he's supposed to. And it did so much where it kind of changed his appetite and made him much more hungrier. And now he expressed the benefits of recovery, which makes sense. You should from eating more. But I do wonder how that's going to affect him because he even admitted, which you don't hear fighters admit, he's like, I am kind of worried about the weight cut, he said, because he said he's by far the heaviest ever coming into this fight. So it wasn't just my eye test, again, proving me kind of correct there. Um, what does that mean? How will that play out? You know, you just gassed out in your last fight. Now you're going to come in, you know, heavier. Also, he's coming off of concussion symptoms, which your boy knows all too well. Now, for that reason, part of me it will be you know, uh, rooting for Heinish regardless of the outcome just to be okay here. Um, but, you know, that fight I believe he was scheduled for was only for September or, or October or something like that, right, in New York. Uh, so it's just, you know, a month and a half, two months later. Because um, he couldn't, he got an injury and, and, and he couldn't shake the concussion symptoms, which, which you don't have control over that. And he know, he, he cited that, he knows that. Um, but it makes me worry slash wonder. Is he rushing to come back, you know? Especially against a guy who hits like a truck in Omari Akhmadov. And again, Omari Akhmadov's a guy that's traditionally faded, so shouldn't Heinish beat him? But if you look at it, if you look at the only times when Omari Akhmadov really faded, were the last and only times in his career outside of an early submission loss way back in the day. Um, it was when he was finished. Now, granted, those were in third round, so it opened him up to being finished more from being, hence being tired. But how much of it was the fact that he was way down at welterweight? Like, that guy should not be at welterweight. Like, when I saw him in the hotel room at UFC 223, he wasn't fighting on that card. But when I saw him in the hotel lobby, uh, in the fighter hotel, I'm like, holy crap, there's a heavyweight standing next to, uh, there's, a, there's an Alir Latifi standing next to Alir Latifi um, that looks like he probably fights in heavyweight, though. And nope, that's Omariok Madoff. Like, the guy is fucking gigantic. He should have never been fighting down there. Was killing himself. So how much of that was him being at welter that way? Also, you look at those stoppage losses, his last losses, his last times he's really gassed. Maybe the Vittori fight a little bit, which wasn't too far after that. But those last two losses, when did they come? 
and the 2015, early 2016. Why is that important? It's important because it's one of the most sketchy sample size for the majority of fighters out there in the UFC. Why is it the most sketchy sample size for the majority of fighters? Because USADA was implemented in late 2015. So late 2015, when it comes into play, till about midway through 2016 into 2017, there's a lot of people adjusting their workout protocol and their regimens. You know what I'm saying? There's some doctor change-ups. You know what I'm saying? There's a there's a different yams at the store, you know. Yes, Dan, we get it. You're you're you, we get what you're getting at here, Dan. Okay, I'm just saying, you know. I, I think Omariak Madoff has gotten his stuff straightened out because he, you know, I know Tim Bosch is, you know, ready to retire. Cummings hasn't fought, nor has he been the most reliable um, since he lost to Madoff. But the guy looked solid um, in those fights and was fighting really within himself. And uh, his power sways around and he can get takedowns when he needs to. Um, really hard to deny. Uh, I'm sure Heinish will get up, which is fine because Omar Akhmedov doesn't hold guys down anyways. He just uses them to score and eke out rounds. So for plus 120, I actually took a small shot, just a half unit shot um, on Akhmedov here. But uh, I hope Heinish is okay. I hope he's not rushing this. I really do. Matt Brown minus three forty five. Ben Saunders plus two eighty five. Um, this fight's crazy. This is another fight where it's like, should Matt Brown really be this big of a favorite? I love, I love Killer B too. I love both these guys, by the way. Um, but yes, as the tweet I tweeted out earlier, I'm really excited for Matt Brown to come back, and he is the pick here. Uh, you know, um, these are one of the few guys or matchups where I can actually go to the stats, whether it's like the stats sites or UFC.com stats, and they'll actually be pretty accurate because these guys actually have a decent enough sample size where you can actually compare it a bit. And it's like you would think, you know, Matt Brown just lands a little bit more. Um, and has been on the receiving end of a little bit less, but it's not much because these guys are, are, are high variety, high offense for heavy first guys. And that makes them defensively uh, turbulent. And they're not that defensively strong in the first place. So it's mass turbulence. A lot of turbulence there. Um, which is why, you know, the odds could be a little closer. Um, more specifically, it's I don't think Ben Saunders out-wrestles or submits Matt Brown unless Matt Brown is hurt. But I do think Matt uh, Ben Saunders could hurt Matt Brown, particularly to the body. We forget Matt Brown, how, you know, Cowboy's not the only one with body tropes there. Matt Brown has them too. And Ben Saunders, even in later career Ben Saunders, the one, one of his strongest strikes uh, through and through, it's always been those body kicks. He has really heavy body kicks, especially if you see him go southpaw, um, which is, of course, the liver side. Man, uh, look out for Ben Saunders' body kicks. I think that's how Ben Saunders can win this fight. That said, I'm going to go pick Matt Brown. Will I play it? No. Um, will I, but I will play my last third leg because, again, minus 385 for Brown. Why don't I minus – might as well just spend minus 485 at that point for fight won't go the distance. Of course, you can't play it straight up. So, yes, it, it is my third leg of uh, third leg of the parlay there. That's Marlon Marais, Veda Aldana over 2.5. And Brown Saunders won't go the distance. Parlay those three legs, and uh, you can maybe get a plus one hundred in a neighborhood there, uh, just north of plus one hundred. Uh, that's what that's what I did there. Um, if you use houses that that use those those odds there, but uh, that was just a for fun parlay for those of you who do. I give you guys a. Another straight play here, maybe one or two more. Yes, yes. 
Uh, next fight, also on the avoid list, Chase Hooper, minus 115. Daniel Timor, minus 105. The tight fight. I can't recall who opened as the dog or favorite. You really can't go wrong just as so long as the odds are close because it's a crazy mess of a fight. I'm going to go with Chase Hooper. He's a contender series kid. He's a green takes damage more than I like, but he's got a lot of heart. Is also very real about where he's at. Knows what his strengths are. Sounds like in this interview, he knows he's got to get it to the ground. Knows what Timor does. Um, and we've seen Timor lose by submission to submission guys that are long and lanky in the past. For those reasons alone, I will go with it, but I did not go back and rewatch any of these gentlemen's fights. Um, the pick is Hooper, but this one's on the avoid uh, list. Uh, but yeah, Hooper and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to Soriano too, but just these guys like, you know, they're getting pushed way, way fast. Just the, you know, for prime examples of that contender series, premature push. So it's good that they had delays that, you know, both these guys should have showed up sooner. So it's probably good. We're not seeing them till now, but who knows? It still could be too soon. Uh, that said, the pick is Hooper. Uh, although I don't know if the win is much better considering the trajectory theory I just threw out there. Kai Kara France minus 165. Brandon Moreno comeback plus 145. Ugh, I like Kai Kara France. And again, god damn it, do I love city kickboxing and Eugene Behrman and man, I just listening to Kai Kara France became more of a fan of his after listening to an interview. But this one just jumped out to me and then when I watched the footage it just still makes sense. Brandon Moreno he can be a hard guy to get a beat on. You definitely don't want to bet on him when there's a minus next to his name. But when there's a plus, Brandon Moreno is worth a look. You know, whether he's going to submit the submission guy like Luis Smolka um, or he's going to uh, pull one out of the ass against the guy who pulls one out, grinds, and stops opportunistic fighters like a Dustin Ortiz, right? He's usually that like one, one, one or two L's that the flyweights will, even the better flyweights will have on their record sometimes, right? Uh, he's a lively cat. He's never been stopped or submitted. He's got a hell of a chin. You could smash his face in and uh, not let him get to the, to the scrambles and, and secure the positions you, you want because you're a badass like Pantoja. And Brandon Moreno is not going to tire. He's got that Mexican heart and spirit. He's not going to tire. He's going to keep coming at you. Um, he's got power on the feet as well. You know, we saw obviously with the Dustin Ortiz with the kicking, but even with the punches with Askar Askarov. By the way, that's another fight, kind of like Luke Perry. You can have a bunch of different scorecards, and they kind of did. I think it was like a 29-28 Askarov, a draw, 28-28, and a 27 Moreno. I think I was the one that wasn't represented. I was a 29-28 Moreno with a lean toward a 30-27. Um, so it's kind of a bummer that, you know, if anybody really got that one taken away from him was Moreno, whereas... Askarov kind of just got a loss prevented and got his, uh, he really didn't get a win so much as undefeated record secure. Um, but yeah, Cara France though too as well. He's a guy for all his skills. He's got really solid skills, uh, really clean skills that are easy to see from wrestling to striking. And, you know, he's done jujitsu technically for the longest and, uh, he's not afraid to scrap in, in, in that area. Although he's a bit wild for my liking still, um, when it comes to that. But, uh, but yeah, he makes questionable decisions too. Now he fought much, uh, or yeah, fairly more disciplined, I'd say against Mark De La Rosa. but that, that last fight against, uh, not Bonsarin, Paiva, Holly and Paiva, 
um, still sticks out, you know, just why was he going for so many takedowns against a guy who jujitsu was his main thing and putting himself in precarious positions, you know, the guillotine catches that he's almost gotten himself from amateurs or not amateur, but like lower end pro, I think a uh, shout out to Mr. Honky, by the way, at Mr. Underscore Honky, go give him a follow. And he has a donation thing too, for all the clips that he posts. I actually, uh, Mr. Honky, I tried to donate to you. Uh, I got to try again. Cause it, it, it Whatever it was, tried to get me to donate uh, 20, 25 or something. I'm like, hey, easy. I'm not made of money here. I just wanted to donate five to you. But regardless whether or not you want to donate to Mr. Honky's cause, which I will be, by the way, but just give him a follow. He, he hustles out there. Um, real quick while I'm giving shouts to Magic M MMA at Magic M underscore MMA. Uh, shout out to that guy as well. He's, a, you know, he's another. Uh, Hustler Grinder, uh, I think he considers himself an MMA better there, but uh, he's one of the the more friendlier people that I, I go back and forth with, and uh, he tagged me in a breakdown he did, I guess he's gonna gonna be doing a little bit betting write up, so I just wanted to give him a, a friendly shout there. I'm gonna I'm gonna go check that out, Magic. I, I promised you I would. Um, I'll check it out. I saw you tag me. I didn't I didn't respond yet, but I saw that, so I'll give you a shout here. Cool. And uh, while we're giving shouts and hustles, what about Chris Rennie? Uh, at Rennie MMA, I'm about to go buy one of those uh, Teespring um, Street Jesus T-shirts. But uh, he, he's got a lot of uh, personal art projects. Just go follow him for all that and support uh, an artist, not just an MMA grinder, an artist. Uh, there we go. That's the Dan Tom. Uh, you, you obviously, you're an artist in one way. You're an artist in many. I used to draw a bit myself, so uh, I really appreciate uh, Rennie's work there. So just wanted to give him a shout. Sorry, I didn't mean to sidetrack there, folks. But yeah. Um, Kaikara France makes, um, you know, whether he's going for guillotines or stuff uh, or getting himself put in them, like you don't want to do that against, not Luis Smoka, against Brandon Moreno. I mean, he caught Luis Smoka with that. Um, I mean, jujitsu is his thing and he's not a bad wrestler either. And he's really good in the scramble. So like, kind of like with the Peter Yan thing, like you're giving your, you're going to be putting yourself in all those scrambles and Kaikara France is not beyond being hurt. Now, I'm not going to hold those, you know, earlier losses against them. I don't want to say prospect losses per se. I just think that they happen when, like, you're a Jorge Masvidal kind of cat. When you're fighting from a young age, like Kai Kara France says, you're going to get those early stoppage losses and then kind of right yourself. And he has. By the way, Kai Kara France, another reason why I hate betting against him and betting against City Kickboxing, his win streak that he's on, like, eight fights, it's been since he moved, switched over to City Kickboxing under Eugene Behrman, I believe. So, I mean... You know, it, it's hard to bet against him. But even, again, under that regime, he's still shown as a wild side that I think could get him cost against Moreno. However, unlike the Jan Faber fight, I'm actually going to go with the underdog here. Um, granted, he's not as big of an underdog by odds, nor should he be uh, as big of an underdog as Faber is. But it, it's big enough for me to, 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 to take just a half-unit shot. I think I don't disagree that Kai Kara France is favorite. I think he does really well in this fight. All the way to the point that where he doesn't and um, gets stung by something uh, and then gets finished by Moreno. So Moreno plus 145, uh, half a unit. I, I took a shot on there. You don't got to follow me off a cliff. I hate picking against City Kickboxing, but I just couldn't. There's just way too many. There's just way too many things saying that just that, that could pop up in this fight. I think um, for 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 Moreno as a dog to not have a shot taken on him, at least for me. Another possible play of, uh, you know, depending if you want or who you are, Viviana Araujo, minus 175, comeback on Jessica Evil Eye. Uh, 
plus 155. Um, boy, this is tough, man. Maybe it's the bias here, the extreme couture bias, her working with people that I like and all that, and, you know, I try to put that aside and all that. But, um... But, yeah, I, I can't do it. I, I, I'm picking out a Ujo here. It's tough, man. Um, when, you know, I, you know, she went on a big win streak before, and as soon as she lost, it, it seemed to be hard for her to get out of that trench a bit. And not only is it a loss she's got to get out of now, but it's a big knockout loss. Um, and not only that, kind of like with the nose thing, with the, again, something to look for with Mike Perry, although he doesn't seem to have a nose now, apparently, according to the MMA Junkie interview he did, showing us that he has no thing innards of his nose or whatever. It just goes flat. But, you know, fighters coming off a surgery or a knockout, you always wonder how they're going to react once they get hit again. And against one of the heaviest hitting flyweights, uh, who's going to have a speed edge, um, and is going to be really good in the areas that, you usually take solace in being good at. I think that's like the worst matchup. You want to get your confidence back. You don't want to face someone that's good in the areas you're good at. You just got knocked out. You don't want to face someone with knockout power. You have all those plus, you know, the, the you know, the not in, insecurities and in coming at just got come insecure person. I'm saying anybody in that position would be have a natural amount of insecurity, right? So you're trying to get over that insecurity. Just facing someone with knockout power and speed is probably just the worst you could put against a fighter. You're trying to get your your legs back under you, and you just got these fast things flying at you. Now, Viviana Rujo, not so much of a burst fighter, but her gas tank certainly has limits that make her kind of inadvertently fight in broader bursts, right? Could a veteran take advantage of that? We saw that perhaps one could, but she was able to avoid that trappings, even you know though it looked bad in the second round against Alexis Davis and was able to tough through. And she's gotten third-round stoppages before in her career, so I don't know how much of a flag of the cardio will be, especially in this matchup. Um, just Guy does have underrated wrestling, and if Araujo is in a point where she's kind of recharging, then maybe we see Just Guy land a takedown and maybe get one of those a middle round similar to Alexis Davis did while Araujo recharges for the next round, but it's really tough. Um, I really like Viviani. I also just really love, you know... Brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, fighters who come out and start knocking people out, you know, a la old-school BJ Penn, uh, right? <laughs> Before the lava shack. <laughs> so I really like Araujo. Like, just like I was making fun of everybody for fanboying uh, over uh, or fangirling or however you want to put it, everyone fawning over Marina Rodriguez. Like she's, she's the new hot chick in town, right? And I'm, I'm being contrarian Dan. Well, I'm not being contrarian Dan here. I'm... I very much like Viviana Araujo. I'm like how, you know, I feel toward Araujo like how y'all feel toward Rodriguez. By the way, y'all y'all uh, riding so hard on Rodriguez's thing. Regardless of what you thought of the score, again, I scored it for Rodriguez too. Can y'all start finally admitting that she doesn't have a ground game once you get past, or a good ground game, once you get past the layers of her defensive frames? Once you get past those layers of her defensive takedown defense, she can be taken down, and once she's taken down... She hasn't offered much to the point where she's gotten she's 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 been she's gotten ten eight rounds and in draws because of um her getting taken down like that's what is that I mean I know you know the, both those draws you could raise an eyebrow and I didn't score that either of those fights a draw per se but they weren't bad draws at the same chance and at this end of the day like your girl was stuck on her back in mixed martial arts. So that's something that Marina Rodriguez needs to shore up. Um, I know y'all, the, the fans, don't like to hear that. 
leave you alone. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, no, just for, just saying because I I came hard at Rodriguez, but by the same token, you know, I, you could accuse me of, of fanning out over here for Ada Ujo. So I'm actually gonna pick Ada Ujo here. I don't know if it's because I have a, I do have a soft spot for Jessica I, and of course there, there is a bit of that bias, even though I'm clearly ignoring it. Like I do try to claim that I do, and proving it here, folks. Picking out of Ujo, but perhaps that bias does bleed through because I haven't played it. I don't know if I can pick and play, or I don't know if I can play against Jessica. I, I will say though, minus 175 is a playable line if you want to read between those lines, folks. All right, last but not least on the avoid list, we got Oscar Piazzetta. Oh, 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 minus 120 versus Puna Hili. Soriano plus 100. Man. Again, kind of like with Hooper or Suriano, uh, like I was reading my write-up for the grading the winners on there, and I actually used a, uh, I used a Scarface quote from Frank Lopez. I, I, I left Frank Lopez quote, the, the boss man. That's the, that's the boss that Scarface takes over from, Tony Montana. Um, he befriends, or I guess the boss befriended him, and then, yeah, Tony betrays him. Um, but when... Uh, What's his name? Salieri. He plays Salieri. Uh, I, I don't know his character name, but he's a really good actor. Um, F. Murray Abraham. That's it. F. Murray Abraham. Mr. Forrester. Yeah, Mr. Coolridge. Uh, and he played Salieri, of course. Uh, but yeah, he was like, he was like, oh, I don't like Tony, you know. And then, and then Frank, the mob boss, goes, "You get a guy like that on your side, he'll break his back for you." And uh, I felt like that was Dana White when he was going on that rant on, like, this is what you do. You finish fights like Puna. And he used Puna as kind of his example for the killers that he wants. And uh, the dangerous side of that is the fact that he used Puna to make his example is that Puna, even though I was rooting for him, he, I, I picked him and glad he won and uh, overperformed in the sense that he'd never been out of the first round. It wasn't the most promising performance also at the same time, right? Like, he still has a lot to work on. He's still very green, yet now he's getting pushed into the UFC, and I'm glad he didn't have the initial booking so fast and has a little more time, but Piachoza, even though he's on a two-fight loss, stoppage loss streak, um, this dude's pretty, 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 pretty experienced in comparison to Soriano. Uh, he travels around the world. Uh, Drysdale Black Belt got back in touch with Drysdale this camp and did primarily his camp up at TriStar in Canada, it appears. Um, the dude's flexible, feels like a, a rock, a real, seems like a real uh, athlete. Um, but, you know, he hasn't been knocked out, but, you know, he, he he's very hittable. He can be rocked. He can be beat on if you get him in the right positions, right? Um and even though he hasn't looked like a, a jiu-jitsu black belt against other jiu-jitsu black belts like Gerald Mearshart, who submitted him, or obviously Adolfo Vieira, who's a complete different brand of jiu-jitsu black belt, um, you know, he's still a good grappler. He's still better than Soriano on paper and probably in practice, right? So I think he opened as a slight dog, and the market kind of corrected that, and I agree. Again, this might be the first time I'm picking against a Hawaiian from Extreme Couture. I don't know, Puna. So it's not like I have like these crazy bias or I'm like buddy buddy with him or anything, but yeah, you know, you think about it. When is Dan picked against a Hawaiian from Extreme Couture? So um, the pick, I'm going to be rooting for Puna here, but the pick is Piachota, and this is just a void list for me. All right, so I'm going to uh, recap my picks and plays here, taking 
Covington over Usman. I know, I know. Taking Holloway over Volkanovski. Taking Nunez over Deron Dami. Taking Morais over Aldo. Taking Jan over Faber. Taking Neil over Perry. Taking Vieira over Aldana. Taking Ahmedov over Heinisch. Taking Brown over Saunders. Taking Hooper over Timur. Taking Moreno over France. Taking Araujo over I. Taking Piacetta over Soriano. Did a fun little parlay if you play with the house that'll allow you to do it, which was uh, Marais parlayed with Vieta Aldana over 2.5. Parlayed with Brown Saunders won't go the distance. That is the only parlay I did for plus 1.04, just north of plus 100. Didn't play any props. Was looking at Holloway by decision, but I'm probably just going to be scared off of Holloway out of my respect and uh, growing love for Volkanovski. Straight plays took Covington plus 160 for two units. Took a shot on Moreno plus 145 for half a unit. Took a shot on Akhmadov at plus 120 for half a unit. Ada Ujo, was that is that a chalk play worth it? Um, if I, I don't blame me if you go for that at minus 175 on the avoid list. Hooper versus Timor is an avoid. Perry versus Neil. Just crack it a beer and enjoy that one. Vieira versus Aldana. Too many intangibles. Picking Vieira, rooting for Aldana. That's on the avoid list. And of course, Piachota Soriano. Um, also on the avoid list. Again, guys, check the show notes uh, to check out my friends, mytopsportsbooks.com. Check the show notes for that link. That'll take you to their betting guide. Definitely worth a check out. And visit the other things they got there. Check out their tabs. I was was exploring around on the site the other day. Some really cool stuff. And again, uh, I appreciate you guys for supporting the show and supporting the things that support this show. And that includes you guys. You guys support the show. So take care of yourself. So I still have listeners because I don't know why I have any. But uh, I appreciate you guys. Got Quintet. Uh, hopefully, I see y'all around. I won't be at the fights, but I may be around for some fight week stuff. Um, and then I'll be in Hawaii next week. Got two video projects as well that I'm cooking. Oh my goodness, it's crazy, y'all. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the fights. Try not to get caught up in the political brouhaha. Realize there's much more important things in life like health and happiness. And always protect the next.